Hey all, this is Sean Gerber. Thank you for listening today, but before we get started, I have a couple of questions for you. Are you caught in the daunting maze of CISSP preparation, unable to find your way forward? That's precisely where I found myself when I began studying for the CISSP. Overwhelmed would be an understatement. There are now an ocean of CISSP training programs available, and are you unsure which ones to trust? I remember the struggle, but there was nothing accessible to me outside of the pricey boot camps. And that's precisely why CISSP Cyber Training came into existence, to illuminate your pathway towards acing the CISSP exam. At CISSP Cyber Training, I've forged the CISSP blueprint into a step-by-step guide to navigate you through the intricacies of the CISSP journey designed to provide you the direction and guidance you need to pass the CISSP exam confidently. But don't just take my word for it. Listen to what one of my students, Kevin Fallon, had to say about the CISSP blueprint. This is precisely what I needed in your course, direction. The blueprint is the perfect roadmap to stay on track. I appreciate its clarity and tangible sense of progress it brings. A phenomenal tool for revision. And then there was another from Christopher Wagstaff. Sean Gerber, your guidance was invaluable throughout the CISSP study and certification process. Thank you for breaking the monotony. Once you've wrapped up with the podcast, make your next stop, CISSPCybertraining.com, and let's together turn the tide in your favor, meeting your CISSP goals and catapulting your career in cybersecurity. Now, without further ado, let's get going. Giddy up. Welcome to the Reduce Cyber Risk Podcast, where we give you the tools you need to meet your cybersecurity regulatory requirements while helping secure your business and keep the evil hacker horde at bay. Hi, my name is Sean Gerber, and I'm your host for this action-packed, informative podcast. Join me each week as I provide the information you need to best protect your business and reduce your company's cyber risk. All right, let's get going. Hey, I'm Sean Gerber with Reduce Cyber Risk. In today's episode, we are going to be talking about some cybersecurity news that have hit the the recent uh, wire, and then also some cybersecurity training that I've got that is being put out, and it's a supplement to CISSP course that you'll see out there uh, from different companies. Along with myself, I have a CISSP course available as well. Uh, but again, that's a certified information security systems professional, CISSP. But uh, this there's some really good stuff that we've got coming down the pike for you from Reduce Cyber Risk. All right, so as it relates to the uh, Iran DNS hijacking, we've got some stuff going on in the news around that. So NASA, uh, we'll start off with NASA first. Um, NASA had an app leak, basically leaked some data out there in the world. And what they used is they used an installation called Jira. Um, there's other types of development software out there that is such as TLS, uh, but Jira is one like that. And it basically it's a code repository and allows you to track what you're doing with bugs, um, your coding as you're, as you're going through if you're in different sprints. But it's a form that they use for managing your development. Well, what happened was is NASA had a Jira installation that was available um, that was open for people to get access to accidentally. Uh, It was not supposed to be this way, but it was. And what ended up happening was it allowed everyone and all user permissions for that system. And and basically, it allowed someone to get access into their Jira console to find out what they're working on. 
Uh, they did have access to the code and so forth. Now, there was no PII or personal identifiable information that was available to them. Uh, it was all just kind of discretionary data that had been out there. But realistically, it just kind of comes down to is that they had left uh, a, an open door basically within their Jira installation for people to come in. Um, it didn't really appear that uh, it was a dedicated people that were trying to get into this however yeah it's more like somebody's just kind of stumbled across it so something to consider around that is that when you're doing app development uh, it's really important that the repositories that you keep your data in whether it's a, a code a code um, code source that you have your stuff in or the fact that you're using some level of documentation that's kept in like TLS or Jira that's your management solution uh, you need to make sure that you have all of that locked down because uh, from my standpoint, I've got a development team that works for me. And if they had access, if someone got access to our code um, and the fact that it wouldn't necessarily be, uh, what do they call that, uh, intellectual property or it wouldn't be something that would be like pushing us over the edge. However, it's something that would provide context around our company. And so therefore, it's important that you lock all of that stuff down. Uh, especially if you're dealing with outside parties that are third-party vendors that are utilizing your code, you need to make sure that you have that uh, locked down as well. Uh, so that's just kind of a key thing around NASA's app leaking data. All right, so now we're going to talk about Iran and some DNS hijacking. Now, this has hit the news, and I actually affected a friend of mine, uh, had the same situation occur to him. But what they've done is they've been able to hijack people's DNS. Now, if you're not familiar, DNS is the domain name service, and it's it's a key component to making the internet work. And really, what it does is it if you everybody's website has an IP address, and these IP address might be uh, I don't know, let's just say 13.22.16.75, and that it's really hard to remember all of those numbers. All right, and so if you typed in those numbers, you can get to that site, but it makes it way too hard for somebody like us humans to be able to understand all those numbers. So what they did is they came up with DNS, and it basically ties the name, uh, like reducecyberrisk.com, to an IP address of 13.22.36.75. Uh, I don't know if that's what, what it is, but anyway, that's what it ties it to. And so therefore, that's um, it basically is your name. Well, what they've been able to manipulate, Iran has been able to manipulate DNS records, and they're saying since 2017. So for the past almost two years, um, they've been doing that. So a year and a half to two years. And what it does is it allows them to intercept the email data, usernames, and passwords that may be flying in the clear around these names. So when you type in a DNS for reduced cyber risk, instead of going to my site, it would actually take you to some Iranian site which would be bad, right? So especially if they mimic and make their site look just like mine, what they can do is they can start taking the data that would be put in there and they can harvest that data. So that's obviously a bad thing. We don't want that to happen. Um, so again, Di Iran's been doing some DNS hijacking since 2017. Now, uh, FireEye, it's a great tool out there that is, they've got some different stuff as it relates to their protections from pro web proxies to email. But bottom line is they recommend that you monitor your mail server certificates and you need to watch where they're pointing, especially if they're about ready to expire because these guys might gobble them up and next thing you know, they're pointing uh, your information to their web server versus actually being pointed to yours. Um, one of the articles that mentioned was that it was really hard for how they uh, could actually, they're manipulating the DNS records. They're not real sure how they're doing it. So it'll be interesting to see as this goes on over time uh, what comes of it. 
that the other thing that's kind of interesting is as our world becomes a very small place with the internet and the connections um, and as we become more and more connected from our cell phones to internet of things to alexas to you name it to whatever that might be uh, how does that getting affected through uh, these various companies that are various individuals or nation states who may not have the best interest of myself in mind they may be looking out for themselves and or global domination right so Iran DNS hijacking, and I'll have all the links uh, in the show notes as far as where all these links came from, but I thought that was kind of an interesting topic. Now, else in the news, you may have seen it where AT&T said, we will never, ever sell your data anymore. Yeah, right. Okay. Uh, that, that's where they make their money. So AT&T, Sprint, Verizon, T-Mobile, there they've been selling your data. <sighs> Shock. Hard to believe. Can't believe it. Oh, just terrible. Well, it, it is actually, since the, a lot of it comes down to is they say that in the fine print, but they're they're using your data to sell it to make a profit. Um, and basically, what they've done is they've actually turned on your location data, and they will basically allow uh, they take all of that data and they're pushing it to other third parties, uh, and they use that for benefit. So, like an example of um, I've seen it where stores where you walk into a store, and it'll automatically pick up on the Wi-Fi that says, you know what. Uh, since you're picking up on the Wi-Fi, we're in our store. We're now going to parlay ads to you um, so that you can, uh, you'll can you see the different stuff that's in our store, different ads, different sales, whatever that might be, because they assume that most people are actually using their phones, right? So these things will pop up, these notifications. One comment they made, they, and I have in quotes, is even those with a clear consumer benefit, they will not allow it to be sold anymore. So again, they were taking your lo your aggregation of your location data since an AT&T standpoint, and they were turning around and selling it to third parties uh, as a profit. So they're making money off you from the sale of the, of the phone or the, the use of their service along with selling your data. And this is where data is going to become more and more valuable. Uh, it, it's, it's amazing because as we become a data-driven society and we have artificial intelligence and machine learning kicked in, the data is going to become more and more valuable. Um, they had an example in the article that they said Joe Cox, he actually paid 300 bucks to a bounty hunter to find, to be tracked. This guy by the name of Joe Cox was uh, to be tracked. Actually, not the guy, but the reporter. Um, he was able to track and locate a U.S. phone number for 300 bucks, and he discovered it through a third party that had purchased the subscriber's location records. So basically, for 300 bucks, you can hunt somebody down, and it's from their phones. Why? Their phones are on all the time. The other thing is, is you click on these the uh, EULAs, which is your end user license agreements. You click on these so often uh, that to say just yeah, accept my location. Well, when you're doing that, you are allowing these people to potentially use your location and sell it to other people. Uh, so again, three hundred bucks, they can find you if you're a bad person and you well, don't want somebody to find uh, you. So that will be interesting to see if it, that comes. Well, I personally believe it's going to happen. Go. It's just a matter of time. Um, now, uh, recently, they, they Sprint is going to be purchased by T-Mobile. And T-Mobile made the comment that it will not knowingly share PII or personally identifiable information. Uh, something to keep in mind with PII, that is a U.S. kind of based term, but it's, again, privacy information. And then lastly, kind of along all these lines, was is that we're seeing more and more pressure from the U.S. with the U.S. government to come, come up with some sort of privacy law similar to GDPR. So it's kind of a GDPR-ish kind of law. Uh, so that will be interesting to see if that comes. I personally believe it's going to happen. It's just a matter of time. 
uh, they, they got to put something in place, but uh, we'll, we'll see where that potentially goes here in the future. All right, so we're going to move on to uh, our training for the CISSP. Hi, my name is Sean Gerber with Reduced Cyber Risk, and this is the ongoing training for the CISSP, or Certified Information Systems Security Professional. Yeah, that's a lot of words. Uh, but bottom line is this is a supplemental course that's going to help with that training. And that supplemental course is designed to meet all the same requirements that you would with the CISSP. Now, one thing I've learned doing the, the CISSP was that you have to be a mile wide and an inch deep in the training. So what this is designed to do is to add to that training for you. So the purpose of it is going to be just some quick down and dirty things that you can help you become successful as a security professional within your organization. All right, so let's get started. So information security governance, what exactly is it? Now, honestly, it's one that I struggle with over and over again over time because the simple fact of it is, is that it seems like these big $10 words and you really, when you come right down to it, you don't know what they all mean. That's the one thing I did, I struggled with because realistically, my I feel like sometimes I've got a third grade education. Uh, and even though it's not true, I do feel like that because from a security standpoint, it always seems that they're using these big $10 words that I don't totally understand. So a little bit of background about me. I used to fly military aircraft, used to fly B-1 bombers, and then I got into the cyberspace and worked as a hacker. So I got to do some of those wonderful, cool things, but at the end of the day, I run into corporate America, and now as a security information, um, or as a chief information security officer, I see these big $10 words, and I struggle. What the dickens do they all mean? Well, bottom line is they have meanings. Words have meaning. Well, what the information security governance is, it's, it's really about having a higher level of visibility for leadership so that they understand what exactly is going on within the information security program within their company. And so and I'll, I'll throw out the definition and then you can tell me what you think of it. But bottom line is security governance is a set of responsibilities and practices exercised by the board and executive management with the goal of providing strategic direction, ensuring that objectives are achieved, ascertaining that risks are managed appropriately, and verifying that the enterprise's resources are used responsibly. That's a mouthful. A lot of big $10 words, and yeah, that's a way bad run-on sentence. But at the end of the day, it kind of spells out exactly what information security governance is. And it comes down to the responsibility of the senior execs and the board. And it is. Overall, information security is their responsibility. And it's also the security officer's responsibility. But again, it's the board and senior management and senior leadership. Uh, it's also to provide leadership for the information security program within your organization. It gives them guidance, direction on what they need to do. And defined objectives for your specific security program. And what it comes down to is if you have this defined out and, and brought in a bulletized format, it helps give you objectives and milestones to shoot for. So what you have to do is you have to keep the end in mind. And that comes down to a strategic plan of how you're actually going to get there. And so this really comes down to is what is your plan? Now, you could be a chief information security officer. You could be uh, the local janitor. Doesn't matter. I've done all those jobs, and they are wonderful. But bottom line is, is, is security is your responsibility, especially if you're watching this video. And so with that being in mind, you need to come up with strategic plans to help with your organization. But it's also leadership's responsibility as well to help you with that. And you need to take a risk-based approach. 
Being in the military, I can tell you, I've had plenty of times where the government will spend bazillions of dollars and bazillions of dollars to try to protect their networks. But at the end of the day, people can still get into them. So you have to decide from a risk-based approach, how do you want to best protect your environment and how do you want to have your security program set up? It also helps you with the management of resources and, and integrating IT into the information security field. It also finally is about some measurements and metrics and metrics are a big deal, they really are. You need to understand how are you gonna measure what you're accomplishing and what do you need to do to fix the problem. Now security practices, what are these security practices? They're a collection that define an organization, they really are. And they're integrated and imposed in various forms or purposes by different needs or requirements. What exactly does that mean? Right, so the big $10 words is that's a really cool sentence with lots of big words that may, maybe didn't say a whole lot. But what it comes down to is, is, let's say for instance, you have a company and your company is regulated and it could be regulated by DFARS. Okay, this is a defense acquisition, something or other, yeah. I see, I don't even know what it means, but bottom line is a DFARS, if you're a vendor, the uh, U.S. government requires you to have a cybersecurity program in place. Um, it could be that you are falling under CFATS, which is the Chemical Facility Anti-Terrorism Standards. Uh, th that could be a, an issue. You could have a requirement where the vendors require you to have the ISO 27001 certified. So you may have some regulatory or, and or compliance requirement, i.e. GDPR, which, which is regulatory, uh, that are forcing you to do various security practices. You may have industrial standards that you may have to meet uh, for that. And it's, it happens a lot with in the case of ISO 27001, um, especially if you have to create something. Uh, I've seen vendors that have had to maintain a certain certification uh, for the International Standards Organization, ISO 27001, and it's a very specific criteria that you have to meet. The other thing is there's audit and assessments of these governance principles, they should occur. You should be audited and you should be assessed based on the principles. And these usually are based on frameworks that we'll get into later on in the CISSP course, but it comes right down to it is that that's how they follow those frameworks. You follow them and that's what you're usually audited against. Uh, the NIST is the NIST 853 and 800-100. And you're like going, what is that? Well. Bottom line is there are regulations that are in place to, for the National Institute of Standards and Technology for the U.S. government. Um, and these are standards that were provided for the Department of Defense for uh, to when they come up with systems. How do they make sure that they meet a certain criteria? And this happened a lot when I was flying airplanes. When you fly, the airplanes are supposed to fly the same way. They didn't always fly the same way, but they had standards on how they created the actual the plane and they had to follow those standards. Well, NIST saw this where it was coming into cyber world and therefore they needed some standards that were put in place. Now they're also, I talked about the International Standards Organization, ISO. There's another set of standards that are more globally in nature. NIST is the US, United States based, whereas ISO is a global responsibility and a global uh, organization. Now, as you're talking about NACAD, not naked, but NACAD, naked and their benefits, not naked, NACAD, sorry, sorry. NACD, the National Association of Corporate Directors. So they had a, they put out some guidance around this. And these are the people that have boards, right? That they kind of help align with what does a board look like. And they're people that are memberships of the, of naked, na not naked, NACD. <laughs> they're members of that. And so there's four practices that they recommend boards need to have to operate. 
One is an information security on the agenda. You need to talk about it. You can't stick your head in the sand like an ostrich and say it doesn't exist. You have to be able to talk about it. The other one is to identify information security leaders. Do you have people in place that will be your leaders for your company? And they are in the security space. The other thing is an effective corporate information security policies. So not just one, but do you have multiple policies in place that focus on your information security program? And then finally, you assign information to key committees for support. And the purpose of that is that if you have a committee that's keeping the security person uh, abreast and supporting that person, that's a positive thing. So those are the four practices that boards need to have to operate. Now, what are the benefits of governance? Now, accountability, right? So if you have some level of oversight, some governance, you have accountability to ensure that the data is properly being protected and that other people are looking at it. They're not just taking my word for it, right? So Sean's the best CISO in the world. We'll take his word for it. No, it's probably not a good idea because guess what? I make mistakes. So it's good to have accountability and have oversight into what is actually occurring. Um, it's also an integration of risk management. Now, my view of risk management is different than the people that do it for a living and their ideas of risk management. So it also incorporates that into the process and getting other people involved. Uh, it's protection also in some respects from some level of civil or legal liability. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to be protected. And also, a disclaimer, I ain't a lawyer. Not going to happen. I ain't even someone that can do speak English well because I used ain't twice in a sentence. But bottom line is, is that you need to talk to a lawyer, especially if you are an organization that is looking for cyber, add cybersecurity to your uh, to protect your company. But bottom line is, is they've seen and they've witnessed that protections from civil and legal liabilities have occurred if you put security programs and security governance in place. Doesn't mean it's going to go away, but it can have less of a sting potentially. And there's also plenty of other benefits around governance. I just wanted to throw a couple out there so that you understood what we were kind of getting at. Now, business integration, what does that mean? Well, it's not just an IT issue to resolve the challenge. It really isn't. You're integrated at all levels of the organization. And it comes down to, I've seen it so often where, well, IT's got that. Well, this is an IT issue. Well, it's not an IT issue. It's a business issue. Uh, IT is one capability within the business, but at the end of the day, it's still a business issue. And so it needs to be integrated at all levels of the business. So that for all the way from down to me as the guy that cleans out the toilets, all the way up to the guy that is, has multiple homes and multiple cars. Uh, yeah, I have multiple cars. They're just really, really old. Oh, but bottom line is, is that it needs to be at all levels. Um, also managed by a group or a committee. It, again, that's where we come back to the committee piece that NACD had said you have some level of, of oversight and some group think around how you're going to protect the business. And then you also can report these findings to the board of directors. That's another part of business integration. The board needs to be aware of it. <clears throat> it's not just a IT issue. Now, as so we're going to get into some key parties that should be evolved and a little bit of reason why that is. Now, as we're talking about that, the board of directors and the trustees of the business. Now, some businesses don't have that. And realistically, I think I've been on, I've seen a board a couple times, right? Never been on a board, uh, kind of scares me, want to kind of sit in the corner and suck my thumb and go, I don't like it, don't like it. Um, but no, in reality goes is that these are the people that are entrusted for the business. Um, and they have the best understanding of strategic risks and how the business is uh, properly set itself aligned. Do they have, uh, is there a risk with outside competitors? Is there a global risk from a competitor standpoint? Or is there intellectual property concerns that someone might steal it? They, they have the best connection of what that looks like. Are they in a position for a hostile takeover? They would know that. Not that I really know what that means, but they would know that. 
um, and that they're aware of any information aspects, IP, privacy data, etc. Now, the executives, they usually are the data owners within your company. They, they are ultimately responsible for the data and the protecting of the data. Uh, that, that's the ones that do it. Now, they may entrust their thoughts to people like myself to help them with that, but at the end of the day, the data belongs to them. Now, steering committees, we kind of talked about this a little bit as well. Uh, members are the board or executives and security that are part of this committee to help guide the, the strategic view of where you're going to take your organization and how you're going to protect your data. They also best understand the culture and the organizational objectives of the company. As we all know, the culture is very different from company to company. And so the steering committee will help bridge that gap and understand what that could be. Now, your chief information security officer, me, guy like me. Uh, they can be legally responsible for information security, and it's becoming bigger and bigger issue where, as a, as a CISO, you are legally responsible for the data. That's a scary proposition because, realistically, I don't always have control of the data, and I don't always have control of the security. Sometimes these decisions were made before I even showed up. So as a security professional, be careful what you wish for because you never know what you're going to get. Um, and they also, these the CISO will also provide strategic direction based on your organizational objectives, which then come down from the executives and from the board. So they kind of help drive those things for with within a company. Thanks so much for joining me today on my podcast. If you like what you heard, please leave a review. And as I would greatly appreciate any and all feedback. Also, check out my videos that are on YouTube. Just search for Sean Gerber and you will find the plethora of content to help you secure your business. Lastly, head on over to Reduce Cyber Risk and look at all the free stuff that's available for our email subscribers. It's growing each and every day. Thanks again for listening. See ya! Thanks so much for listening today as it was my pleasure to prep you for the CISSP exam. But are you interested in some free CISSP exam questions? Head on over to CISSPQuestions.com and sign up to join my email list and you will gain access to 30 free CISSP questions each and every month. That's a total of 360 questions just for signing up with CISSP Cyber Training. You will also gain access to other free resources. So just head on over to FreeCISSPQuestions.com or CISSPCyberTraining.com and sign up today. All right, have a wonderful day, and we'll catch you on the flip side. See you.